when I was a youngster, um, probably fifth grade to about ninth grade, there was this song that uh, we sang. Actually, we never sang it as a group, but special trios and quartets always sang this song. It was called Jubilee. Now, none of you are probably going to know this song. There may be one or two here that know it. If you have a, a background that's in a little more conservative Christianity, we'll call it, like I grew up. Um, but it went something like this. I want to take a chance here and sing. But I remember this because it, it was always sung. It was like the very first song that a special group would sing if they really wanted to, to do well. It had really clear three or four part harmony. It was easy. It was kind of fast. And so they sang this song called Jubilee. Now, if you see Mike Hain, our youth pastor, Mike, you know, grew up in the same area I did, uh, he'll know this song as well, trust me. But it goes like this, it goes, Jubilee, Jubilee, Diane's nodding her head like she's heard this, you may know it too. And it's something about I'm going to this happy Jubilee, and then it kind of has some other songs. And I remember growing up and uh, thinking, man, you know, when you're in 10th grade, it's 19, what, 80 or so, you're like, you know, Jubilee, who uses that word Jubilee? You don't say, hey, I'm having a birthday Jubilee, what do you say? I'm having a birthday party, I mean, you don't call your friends, hey, it's Friday night, man, come on over, let's watch the movies and have a Jubilee, <laughs> I mean, that's just a word nobody uses, but yet we sang this song year after year about Jubilee, you know, and I remember thinking, why don't we just say party, you know, why don't we use words that we, that we know, right? Well, it wasn't until this week that I came to appreciate that song a whole lot more. And I want to teach you this morning and talk to you about this word jubilee from the, our focus text in Luke chapter 4. So you take your Bibles and turn to Luke 4. And I hope that when you leave today, you'll not think about a word that seems distant and remote, somewhat old-fashioned, but maybe a word that will relate to you some biblical truth. Luke chapter 4, we are picking up in verse 14, is where we left off last week. And I want to talk to you about, and teach you through this, this passage, about the whole concept of Jubilee, and, and how it's so great, but also how it made some people very angry. Now there will be very few notes behind me today, usually I'll have you writing down a number of things, or I'll prompt you with sentences, or I'll have statements for you. I've mainly got just scriptures today, so I want to encourage you to listen carefully, and as God's Spirit prompts you, Take the notes he'd have for you to take. And, and let's just read now in Luke chapter 4, verse 14. The Bible says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Now I want to say this again. Some folks here are new or maybe just here a couple weeks. Luke writes more, more about the Spirit than any of the Gospel writers. Remember, Luke also wrote Acts, which is filled with information and experiences about the Spirit. So this is interesting that, again, this is, the, this is a... Not the first time Luke talks about Christ and the power of the Spirit that, that he had and his filling of the Spirit. He was in Galilee and, he, and news of him spread through the whole countryside. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. There were approximately 240, listen to me, 240 villages and communities that made up Galilee. That's a pretty far-reaching uh, bit of fame, isn't it? It wasn't like, you know, he just kind of got word around Ankeny. <laughs> I mean, 240 villages and, and little towns were hearing about this man named Jesus. How he taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Now, out beside verses 14 and 15, can I have you write a, a reference down? Could you do this for me? Just write down the words, uh, the reference John 1, 19 
through 445. That's an approximate reference. Uh, you may have to go a few verses back and forth on those. But John 119 through 445. Because basically, in Galilee, that's where it explains what happened in Galilee. Luke does not record really a whole lot about what happened. But John gives us a ton of information about what happened in Galilee. Now watch this. So if you were to go to John 1 through 4 approximately, you'd read more about Galilee ministry there. But then in verse 16, Luke does something that none of the other gospel writers does. Luke goes to this, this pit stop, I call it, in Nazareth. Mark, Matthew, and John do not mention Christ's stop in Nazareth, where he was brought up. They simply go to Galilee, they talk about Galilee and his ministry there and how it went forward and he was very famous because of that. But only Luke brings us this story about how he, somewhere after he's in Galilee, he came back to Nazareth for a brief moment. This is that story. Watch this. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Important phrase there. You might want to underline it. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed him and unrolling it he found the place where it was written and here's what isaiah 61 says you'll probably want to keep a finger in isaiah 61 and keep a finger here in luke 4 here's what jesus christ read probably about age 30 after he was baptized in his own hometown he read this the spirit of the lord is on me because he has anointed me number one to preach good news to the poor He has sent me to, number two, proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. Number three, to release the oppressed. And then number four, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that's an interesting uh, passage from Isaiah because he mentions four things that would really sum up his ministry. Look with me again, verse 18, look with me. To preach good news to the poor. The next verse, to proclaim freedom and recovery of sight. And by the way, I think those two go together because they're all tied to the verb proclaim. So to preach good news, proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind. Number three, to release the oppressed. And then this summary statement. All those things are part of his his job of proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what is the year of the Lord's favor? Well, to the Jews who were there listening, that referred to a to historical day in Israel. It was the, the 50th year. It was called the year of, guess what? Jubilee. Now, the 50th year is, is the year of the Lord's favor because it was on that year that you got a fresh start. You got a chance to start all over again. Now watch me here. As you know, they had sabbaticals in the Jewish culture. They'd work six years. They would till their land six years. They would uh, work the land. And on the seventh year, they were under certain requirements to give the land a rest and and they were under certain obligations about how they treated their employees and their slaves. And, and, and you can read Leviticus 25 and parts of Leviticus talking about the sabbaticals and also the, the, the jubilee year. But every, there were seven sabbaticals in. There would go seven. There were six years and a rest. That's seven. Six years and a rest. After you had seven of those, that'd be 49, right? Seven times seven is 49. Then year 50 was declared the year of jubilee. And in a nutshell, the year of jubilee is when all the slaves were free. Property would revert back to its original owner. All the debts were canceled. It was like a chance for people all over Israel. And there were certain requirements based on if you were an Israelite or if you were someone who stayed with them for a little while or if you were a foreigner, they called them, an alien, actually. There's different ways this impacted you based on your standing in Israel. But the point is this. Regardless of your standing, there was an impact that the year of Jubilee had on you. 
It was a time in which slaves were free. Can you imagine growing up and your whole life being a slave and just knowing that on year 50, it'll be a brand new day for me. I mean, that would really, uh, that's a hard thought of, to comprehend that it could be a whole new sense of freedom. Imagine it if, in, if in America we had a year of Jubilee and all the debts were canceled. I'm not sure that'd be a good thing, the way we'd act on year 49. <laughs> but, but in that culture, so many things happened that indicated one simple principle. It's an opportunity to start over. It's a clean slate. Now, that's a really broad nutshell. I want to encourage you to go to Leviticus 25 and, and read some of the requirements about the year of Jubilee, as well as in Isaiah 49. Uh, Isaiah 61, some of those prophetic books and those law books talk about this, these whole concepts. So allow me some room here to give you uh, some general statements. But when Christ made this comment, that's what the Jews were thinking. That's what the folks in the temple were thinking. Wow! And in fact, some scholars even believe that he may have actually done this in a 50th year. Did you know that? That some folks think that when he began in his ministry and he was in Nazareth and he made this statement that it may have actually been a, a jubilee year. No, way, no one knows for sure. But some commentators were saying that. Now watch this. As good as that is, as exciting as this, think about what it was for the Jews. Watch what he told them. This is where it really gets good. He then rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. Jesus, you mean that what we thought Isaiah said, and, and now what you're saying, you mean that it's going to happen today? What does this mean? Now let me back up with you and explain a couple of things to you. I want you to have your brains not just on, but as I always say, have them in turbo mode. You ready? There's a phrase that's left out here in Luke 4 that is in Isaiah 61. Did you know that? In fact, turn over to Isaiah 61. Let me show you a phrase he left out because it had already been fulfilled. Look at Isaiah 61. Here again is Isaiah's uh, writing, speaking of the Lord, a prophetic chapter. And if you look at the bottom of verse 2, he leaves out that last phrase, and the day of vengeance of our God. You see that? So why did he leave that out? It's an important reason. That phrase was fulfilled when the Jews and the Israelite people were freed from their Babylonian exile. And they were restored back to their land. So Christ comes on the scene in Luke chapter 4 and says, Listen, in a spiritual way and in some physical way, I am here to say to you, Today, you can have a clean start. You can have a fresh start. It's not about the day of vengeance coming anymore to where I'll restore you to a land. It's about getting a... A, a new opportunity because of me. Today, this is fulfilled in your hearing. You have the opportunity to start fresh today. That's an awesome message to bring to people. Now, that really summarizes for me then what Jubilee means. Watch this, guys. Isaiah 61, Leviticus 25, Luke 4. All of their thoughts were back to how the, the Jubilee was really a, a time in which uh, the Jews used the law to get started over, to get a fresh start. But now that Christ is here, he's saying this simple fact. I am your Jubilee. In fact, 
We'll say it like this. Jesus is our jubilee. He is the reason we can start over. It's not really a legal issue anymore. It's not a matter of waiting for 50 years. It's a person. It's a relationship that sets us free, that cancels our debts, that releases the oppressed. I like some of the words that describe Christ's ministry. Look back at Luke 4 again, just real briefly. The same ones as mentioned in Isaiah 61. Uh, look at some of these phrases. He says that he was brought, uh, he came to uh, preach good news to the poor. There's the mention of the gospel. And I'm not sure why it is that that's the good news to the poor. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? But apparently there were some who may have been cast out or, or not able to partake because of their economic status. And he's saying, listen, that day's past. Reminds me of James chapter 2. One of our precept studies is involved in James. James 2, where the rich man comes in and he has certain access, doesn't he, to the church. He gets treated certain ways. But the poor man comes in, man. He gets shunned. He gets the back row. You know what Christ came to do? To preach good news to the poor. In other words, it doesn't matter what your financial income or outgo. Amen? It doesn't matter your economic status. It doesn't matter where you live or what you drive. Praise the Lord. Amen? I got a 93 Saturn with 275,000 miles. Amen? It doesn't matter what you drive. It doesn't matter where you live. Image matters nothing to God. He came to preach good news to the poor. He, sent, he was sent to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. That's an interesting analogy because it seems to have both a physical and a spiritual meaning here. Surely he did give sight to some blind people. Surely there were those who were prisoners that were set free, but also a spiritual sense here that... that that people begin to see things they'd never seen before because of Christ. To release the oppressed, those who were burdened down. Those who were weighed down heavy. You ever felt like that? Like, you know, with all your past, with all the things that have happened to you, I'll never get away from this, these suitcases that I carry around, this baggage that just seems to be dogging my feet. Christ came to release the oppressed. He can do that because he is the jubilee. He's, he's proclaiming your Lord's favor. What, what an awesome Old Testament prophecy that now makes a lot more sense to me. You know why? Because no longer is it an Old Testament legal Jewish traditional uh, holiday, so to speak. It's no longer something just in Leviticus. Like, man, who wants to read Leviticus, you know? Suddenly, the jubilee is a person, Jesus Christ. He makes all things new. So the word jubilee, or party, however you want to insert your own phrase there, is no longer about the law, but it's about Jesus. And that's what he said today. He said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I believe at that point, obviously he began to offer, and he was going to say, there's a new, a new time. It's not a simply about the law. Now let me show you some other scriptures that would back this up. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to turn over here and see an interesting verse that I was reading this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Paul here is writing to New Testament Christians in the city of Corinth and, and other believers. As the letter was passed around, other believers read this. Look what he said. Something similar and definitely in the same vein. 2 Corinthians 6. 
As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. And see, when someone read that thinking, oh, that's an Old Testament quote. When is that day? Had that day passed? Is, am I waiting on year 50? When's that going to happen? Look at the next verse. I love this. I tell you, say the next word with me. Now is the time of God's favor. Amen. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. You don't have to wait till year 50, Mark. Not that you would anyway, but I mean, you see what I'm saying? If you're a Jew, you're thinking, man, will year 50 ever come? That's the only time I'm going to get freedom. That's the only time I'll get my debts erased. That's the only opportunity to start over. But he says here, I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Man, that's awesome. Now is the day of salvation. So you can say to your neighbors, the Landons can say to the folks they live with, those, the Kurdish, right, in, uh, in um, Turkey. And you can say to the folks that you visit on, in your relatives, whether you go to Florida, Michigan, California, our missionaries in Africa, Gerald Chirwa, can preach to those in the, in the Bush country. The Davidsons, who are upstairs right now, teaching to our little children as missionaries in Peru. It doesn't matter where you are or who it is. You can say, guess what? The time of God's favor is now. Man, that's awesome. Now, I don't know where you are with that. But I'd like to come to you very honestly and ask you. Have you accepted the time of God's favor? Have you embraced, watch this, God's jubilee? Which would be what? Say it with me. A person. Jesus Christ. It's not a calendar date. It's not a year The jubilee that we now embrace is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our freedom. In fact, let me just give you further proof. You're in 2 Corinthians 6 2. Actually, your Bibles are probably already there. Just take your eyes and look to the left a little bit. 2 Corinthians 5 17. Therefore, if anyone is what? In, say it with me, in Christ, he is a what? New creation. Man, there's the result of the Jubilee. There's the result of the spiritual 50th year, shall we say. Old has gone and the new has come. Look at verse 18. All this is from God. I'll be headed home probably to to Chattanooga with my family sometime this summer. And probably I'll run into somebody who went to school with me and they'll say or I'll say and we'll kid around about the old Jubilee, you know. But you know what? It won't be quite as dorky as I thought then. I'll think about Luke 4. I'll think about his message to captives and to the blind and to the imprisoned. I'll think about 2 Corinthians 6, 2, 5, 17. And I'll think to myself, you know what? As weird as that word is, though we may never use it, I'm thankful that God's Son, Jesus Christ, is my jubilee, my chance to start over. Aren't you thankful about that? I suspect that all over here, from this point all the way over to here, there are people who look back at their past and think if it weren't for Jesus, I'd still be imprisoned. I'd still be blind. I'd still be in some serious spiritual debt. But because of Jesus Christ, I'm free of what I owe Satan. You know, Jesus does that for us, you know. 
He cancels our sin debt. Remember the, in Ephesians, those words we looked at and studied? Those three things that Christ does for us uh, legally, spiritually, and emotionally. He cancels our debt. He wipes it away. Psalm 32, Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven, whose transgression is covered. Praise God. Amen. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ, your Jubilee, has done that for you? He released you from prison. And by the way, that is what you were in. The Bible says, Romans chapter 6, that to whomever we yield ourselves, servants or slaves, that's the person to whom we're slaves. They're the master, we're the slaves. And sin was our master. It held dominion over us. In other words, the word is authority. It was our king until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, he threw Satan off the throne, didn't he? And he established himself as the ruler in your life. And you became what? A, say it with me, a doulos. We learned that word too, didn't we? You became something, simply a slave to a loving, gracious king. Jesus Christ gave you sight. Remember before Christ came, how nothing made sense? It seemed like, what does that mean? I don't quite get that. Why do they do that? And suddenly when Christ came in and, and, and resurrected your life, and through His grace and His gift of faith, He regenerated you. Remember how suddenly it all seemed to make sense? Oh, now I get it. It's the old light bulb experience. You know, bling, bling, bling. It's going off. And you come to church and it's not this boring ritual. Suddenly it's, it seems to make sense and songs make sense and the Bible makes sense and, and you go get your own copy and you start reading it and suddenly everything's seen differently. Everything makes sense. Why? Because of the sight that Jesus gave you. All of that was possible. Not because you waited for year 50. And not because in a Jewish culture you had to go through the law and the legal system but because of a person named Jesus Christ who at the time appointed came as a baby was raised and obeyed God and said in the temple, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He is our jubilee. Amen? Now, as good as that sounds, it, didn't, it wasn't taken quite as well as perhaps you're feeling right now. I mean, I sense in your heart a sense of praise and adoration to God. You're like, Todd, amen, yeah, we love it, you know, and let's have a jubilee, let's have a party, whatever, right? It didn't go over quite so well here in Luke chapter 4. Let's read on and see what happened. It's interesting. There's much to learn. He says, He all spoke well of Him, and, and they, were, they were amazed at His gracious words. And then they asked this, which is a sign of unbelief. Isn't this Joseph's son? Can I ask you a question? What did God say back in Luke chapter 3? He said, This is my son. You can find the verse there, Luke chapter 3, verse 22. And yet, in this town of Nazareth, his hometown, there was blatant, obvious unbelief. Aren't you Joseph's son? I don't care what you say about fulfilling prophecy of Isaiah. I'm not sure what it meant when God said that, but hey, aren't you Joseph's son? And that prompted Christ to respond to them this way. Look what he said in verse 23. Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Now, by the way, Capernaum was a rival to Nazareth. And if you read John chapter 1 and you read some other areas of Scripture, you'll see that Capernaum, there were some mighty miracles done there. Not so in Nazareth. It'd be like, kind of like Ankeny and maybe like West Des Moines Valley, you know. Just some real rivals going on. You with me? If you're from West Des Moines, forgive me. We have more of those in our 1030 service probably. But they were rivals. 
And so they were, they were curious, hey, you did it for them, why don't you do it for us? And the reason is because of, of their attitude, their unbelief, their unwillingness to admit, this is God's Son. Now, by the way, we're looking at Luke through the lens of the, the series, is called Mission Possible, Radical Faith for Ridiculous Times. If there's one thing that Nazareth needed, that would have enabled and prompted Christ to no doubt do a work there. You know what it was? It was radical faith. And in that culture, I have no doubt that radical faith was believing that a man was God's son. How can this be? And seeing in him the fulfillment of the prophecy and then saying, truly you are the son of God. As Peter said, remember that? When all others were being offended and they were walking away, Christ said, Peter, do you want to leave too? He said, no, we believe that you are the son of God. You see, guys, the radical faith that you need to exhibit in your life that prompts and I think begins the work of God, especially in times that seem ridiculous. How could God do anything now? How could He release oppressed people? How could He cancel my debts? How could He give me sight? How could God do anything right now? It seems impossible. That's the time to exhibit faith, radical faith that Jesus Christ is who He says He is and can do what only He can do. But my uncle, man, he seems so far away. He'll never be saved. Maybe in your scheme of things. But ask the Lord, trust Christ. Believe. Pray. Radical. Is God who He says He is? Yes. Would God save anyone? Completely? Yes. It seems like there's only a few Christians in Turkey. How in the world can God reach down and, and work in this, such a, in this place that's so um, intensely Islamic? How? I don't know. But instead of saying He can't, let's believe that God can do only what God can do. And reach in the heart of a Muslim through the witness of Jack and Cheryl and somehow breed an interest and a curiosity and take a Muslim who seems so far and regenerate their heart and turn them into a Christian who then at that point, they're not an a, a Arab or an American. They're a Christian brother or sister. Amen. The new race. Ephesians talks about that. You see what I'm saying, guys? Radical faith is what we need. He says, you, I tell you the truth, uh, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. This is an interesting passage here. Watch this. He says, uh, there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Just out by your Bible, out by that phrase, write the word Gentile. Okay? Look at verse 27 now. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleaned, cleansed, only naming the Syrian. Out beside that phrase, write the word Gentile. What Christ is doing here is saying this. If you guys won't have the radical faith necessary for me to do my work, he said, listen, don't be surprised. This isn't the first time that, that Israel's acted this way. He said in the Old Testament, twice, we didn't, God chose a Gentile and made everybody mad then and it made them mad now. Look what he had in verse, 30, uh, verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. What does this refer to? The word this refers to one thing, that God would do works, that He would show favor, that He would actually use the Jubilee principle on people who weren't a Jew. In a word, that's called spiritual racism. You with me? 
Man, I'm sure glad somebody told me about the gospel. But you know what? I don't have the time to tell anybody else. And you know what? I really do need to keep that really, really nice 2005 card. I need to, you know, where I live is important. So I only got a couple of dollars to help so-and-so go to the field. And, but I'm really glad somebody told me. I'm glad you went out of your way and you gave extra. But hey, you know what? When it comes to what I can do, I, I don't really have the time. It's like we're all glad that somebody told us. But when it comes to letting other folks know and other, the welcome they get, it's like, well, you know what? If I get around to it. Man, that, that's spiritual racism at its worst. Well, they got mad at what Christ said. They got up and drove him out, verse 29. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built. and They were going to throw him down the cliff. I think this is a precursor to the crucifixion, by the way. The first example, or the first uh, highlight, the window into what would happen when the time was right. But the time wasn't right. And instead, verse 30 says, he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, was this a miracle? I think it was a miracle. I don't know how he did it, though. I don't know if he invisibly walked through the crowd or if maybe he just simply ran away. I don't know. But somehow the crowd went to seize him and throw him off the cliff and somehow he got away. I'm glad he did. You know why he got away, don't you? Because it wasn't his appointed time. It wasn't time to die. Why did they get mad? Because other people were experiencing the effect of the Jubilee. Now you may say to yourself, Todd, that doesn't have anything to do with me. I mean, I'm not a Jew. I'm glad everybody gets saved, I think. I mean, I don't know. I mean, just whatever, Todd, you know. I think you may be surprised how often and how quickly we succumb to this very same attitude in Christendom. When I was a, a, a sophomore in college, I took about 35 to 40 junior hires to Mexico. And I came back, that's, that's unbelievable there, uh, first of all, and with sanity. I couldn't believe it, but we went out on a trip, you know, I had a great trip. And it's amazing. This is where my eyes began to first read. It was amazing how many people loved Mexico and wanted to do something in Mexico. And really just were like all for these Latinos and all for these Spanish folks becoming Christians. They were all for it. They'd do anything. And we set up generators, held village meetings. We, we climbed up these trees and put lights in them and... We had people stone the bus we were on. We had these Mexican men gather around us and take their knives out and their switchblades and start cursing at us in Spanish. And I'm holding this one up on my shoulders. And he's saying, what are they saying? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know Spanish. He says, I had Spanish one in high school. And it doesn't sound good. And he's talking to me. And he says, if they come after us, I'm going to heaven swinging. And I'm like, I'm with you, buddy. You know, we're all these. They'll, they'll, they'll go to great lengths for the people in Mexico. Then we come home. And some of this is the fact that they're junior hires. I realize that. They're all in puberty and, and life's weird at that point. I realize that. We come home and you could hardly get them to invite a friend, you know, to church. I'm not saying that's the only thing to do, but it's amazing how cold they seemed to people right around them, but how loving they seemed to people far away. I'm not sure why that happened, but I find that true in my own life sometimes. I find it harder sometimes to go across the street to my neighbor's house than to try to sign up to go to Peru for a, a week and a half. I'm not sure why that is. I'm sure you guys could give insight to that. Maybe you have the same struggle sometimes. Maybe it's because they know us so well or they've seen us. or Maybe because they, they know things about us. I'm not sure. But I think when I look at this, 
I'm amazed at how sometimes if we're not careful, we'll have the same attitude. Spiritual racist attitudes. And as your pastor, I would encourage you as a, as a part of First Family Church to truly have the mindset of God that he said, whosoever will may come. Amen? Well, where do they live? What's their past? What are they like? Sometimes when you're in the hallway, you're, and that feeling comes upon you to be standoffish. Well, I don't know these people, and I'm not sure where they're from. And You know what? I'll just tell you, I think that's probably a thought from Satan. That's probably, those are probably fearful feelings from the enemy. I'd encourage you to, to counteract them with, Hey, my name's Todd. I don't think we've met yet. Well, I know you, Gary. This is an illustration that caught you off guard there. No matter what, no matter if you think you might like him, if you may not like him, if you think you have something in common, it doesn't matter. Man, be a Christian and say, Hi, I'm Todd. And, and it's your first time here, your third time here. Yeah, I'll tell you, I had someone tell me this week that this is a lot of new people at church right now. You know, that's true, isn't it? What's wrong with that? Can I just ask the obvious question? What's wrong with that? Nothing. And I want to encourage you to do this. Amen. And if you don't know them, man, go up to them and, and greet them. Well, Todd, they look like, you know, I got three kids and they don't have any kids and they're trying to hurry. Well, well just, just go meet them anyway. And if they're in a hurry, they'll tell you they're in a hurry. And maybe you don't have any kids and they got 12. And you're like, man, I don't know if I want to talk to them. That might be, you, know. you see what I'm saying, guys? If we're not careful, the same type of attitude can creep into first family. Well, we're, we're pretty comfortable like we are. Or, hey, it's kind of crowded at times. I don't think we have any more room. Those are all things that I don't think are very healthy. We'll just need to find more room. I know right now our elders are, are uh, adamantly searching and looking and negotiating to try to find a, uh, a place that might fit, not just space-wise for future growth, but also different ministry needs. Uh, some issues with our sound and just different things. We're trying to address those. We've had a few little kinks along the way here. Uh, but we're still at the table trying to work it out. We want to bring more news to you than we know. We wanted to say more last week, to be frank with you. We had some intentions to give you a pretty big announcement. And it's just not, they're not ready yet, and so we're having to wait. But don't think that folks are twilling their thumbs. That folks are sitting back thinking, you know what? Man, we want to position ourselves uh, philosophically, even logistically, so that this attitude never comes across. you hear me loud and clear on this? Logistically, philosophically, theologically, First Family Church never wants to come close to this attitude. Us four and no more. Why are you helping them? Well, how in the world can they get saved? Why are they doing that? That's not at all our heartbeat. Amen. Our heartbeat is whosoever will may come. You realize that this week could be somebody's jubilee year? Wouldn't that be awesome? I mean, you were set free, Gary. I mean, when you were baptized. I think were you, were you, you were baptized here or were you baptized in that school? I'm not sure. The school. I mean, you were baptized, and what an awesome day! You were a believer, and you, I mean, you know, but then for Gary to say, well, yeah, somebody else, I don't care if they, and he wouldn't say that. But that's the whole attitude. We, we don't want to go down that road. And I want to encourage you, and this is where God's Spirit really led me this week. This is where His Spirit really convicted me. I want to encourage you and exhort you, and in fact, 
urge you. I want to get behind you as a, as a father would, maybe a, a little child and kind of pat and say, hey, come on, you can do this. Maybe they're learning to ride a bike, they're learning to walk. You can be open-armed, non-elitist with the gospel. You can be. Our church can be. We can pray and work so that all may hear of the glory of God and the opportunity for Christ to be their jubilee. Amen. How about you here this morning? Have you embraced Christ as your jubilee? And then, have you said, you know what, it's not just good for me. I hope everyone knows that Jesus Christ is God's jubilee year. I trust that none of us would get mad or upset at the growing pains of a church with an outreach focus. Amen. I trust we'll accept our responsibility and just go all out, stay around a little longer, come a little early, do whatever you can do to make sure that people know, you know what, man, we are so excited and thankful that God has brought you to First Family, that He's brought you to His family, that can we help you grow now? It may be that some people here need to adopt some new people and disciple them. Do you know that? Some of you are in Hebrews 5 mode. You should have been teachers already, but for some reason you need milk again. I would encourage you, man, let's get our foundations classes going on. Learn those basics and then take someone around, you know, by the arm, one-on-one. Say, listen, I know you just came in here. You've missed some of the class. I'll go through it with you. You don't need a church program to do that, do you? You don't need someone to say, sign up on the card. We'll connect you. Thank you very much. I mean, man, build a relationship. Put your arms around them. There are people in this room right now that, that are in lighthouses, and you know there are folks who aren't. I'd encourage you to, to go put your arm around them and say, listen, come to our small group this week. We've got plenty of open spaces. We've got lots of room. Just do that. Are you with me? That's the opposite of what these uh, people did in this chapter. Be open-armed, embracing. I personally believe that when you act that way, you best exhibit the heart of God. When you were crying out from the bottom of your pit, did God say, hey, leave me alone, I'm busy right now? <laughs> or did He hear your cry and lift you out of that horrible pit, put your feet on a rock and give you a new song? Amen? There are people in your path this week there are people who are going to be in their path when they get back to Turkey. There are people in the Davidson's path. There, there are people all over this city, our country, and our world who don't know about God's jubilee. Can we honor the Lord and bring glory to His name by telling the world best we can? Jesus is our jubilee. Amen? Bow your heads and pray with me, would you? Lord Jesus, I am so thankful that you are our jubilee. Lord, we're not waiting for a calendar day. Lord, my heart is so full. I'm so thankful that now is the time. We're not having to endure legal uh, processes. But you have, have proclaimed this. The time of salvation Lord, what better passage for a church in the middle of a missions emphasis month than this one where when Christ proclaimed that today this is fulfilled in your hearing, and there were certain ones who got mad about that. God, may that never be true of First Family Church. 
May our hearts beat for those who live across the street from us, down the road, around the corner, as well as those, Lord, who live across the ocean. God, may it not be either or for First Family, but may it be both. May we have a global heart. May we have a heart that beats like yours, one that loves the world. Well, we know that you love the world and you gave your son for it so that whoever, God, whoever would believe would never perish. Bring every person in this room to a place where they embrace Jesus as the Jubilee, but Lord, also to where they're willing, Lord, to let anyone else embrace Him as their Jubilee. Lord, build a family here of people saved by grace, filled with the Spirit, ready for good works. Oh God, we thank you for being so great. Amen.